Hey, how's it going? It is going. Let me let me ask you something. So please. Yeah, yeah. So you know I love live music. Gotta have it, gotta go to it. Feeds my, you know, refills my cup, as right. it were. Went to see uh they might be giants this week. Yeah. They absolutely just fucking killed it. Like they were amazing. Hadn't seen them, they hadn't been through in 10 years. And you know, just like this. They just they just bring such a show. My beef is this, and it's with the audience. All right, look, folks. When it's general admission in a club, and you're in a space with each other, no crop dusting, bros. Oh, that was just unnecessary oh. and cruel. That's awful. Did it happen throughout the whole show, or just like once for a, for a small space of the show, and. Jill was like, it's that guy. No, wait, it's that guy. <laughs> Finally, the crop duster excused himself and we're just like, it was you. Ah, uh, was it? Uh, that's that's awful. That's that's it that's, is awful. That's the worst. Just Come excuse on, yourself. Yeah, like excuse yourself. Try to, I don't know, go downwind. I don't know. It's a, that's that's an awful situation. I, I mean, you know, it's an enclosed space, man. Where am I going to go? Was it, was it one of those rotten egg smelling farts or was it like, you know, because there's degrees. It was, like, it was like a badger had crawled up his asshole and died trying oh. to turn back around to crawl out. That's terrible. That's it awful. was terrible. It was. Yeah. So whoever you are, sir, <laughs> shame on you. <laughs> May I, mean, I recommend I, I, I some Pepto? I, May I recommend I, some uh, you know, Atlanta? And of course, it'll be like, oh, I'm sorry, I have colorectal cancer. I'm like, God. Ah, yeah, there's always that. Yeah, I have IBS or whatever. You know, there's always there's something. There's like, a, like an there's addendum. Some, there's some sort of uh, some sort of reason. So that's that's my beef of the week. You got beef? You got beef this week? Oh, I got beef. Um, yeah, but it you texted know, me some beef. Huh? Yeah, I did. Well, it you know, so we've been on set today and, um, you know, we just wrapped for the day and, um, you know, every set environment is different, but we were running a little behind today. And today it was, you know, it was because of an actor and, uh, you know, these things happen. So it was a great learning moment, but it really fatigued everybody and it kind of brought down morale and all this kind of mm -hmm. stuff because it's just a situation where the actor wasn't prepared. Okay. Um, you know, and uh, there was a lot of dialogue and so they didn't know their lines. And so there's certain tricks that you could do to try to mitigate that to sort of help the actor in terms of their confidence or their, you know, comfortability. Because after take three, it's like, what's the elephant in the room, right? So you, ha you have to like sort of like, you know, because you don't want to make that actor feel insecure or, you know, because they're having to be vulnerable in front of a camera. And that's a, that's a huge task. And so, you know, you have to kind of find ways to work around it so mm -hmm. that uh, so that you can get efficiently good work done. And so uh, sure. that's what we spent most of our day doing. And um, it is, though, it's just, you know, it's it's one of those things you hate it when it happens. So learn your lines, folks. That's the biggest, you know, that's why you know, people ask me all the time, how do I get into this industry? How do I, you know, I don't have any of those answers, right? I have like <laughs> suggestions, right? But like, the first thing I could tell you is if you're going to be an actor, memorize your lines before you come yeah. to set. I mean, I just, you just got to be memorized. You don't, there's no, there's no time to waste for things like that. So tell me that they suddenly said line. No, but I will tell you that, that, you know, we did, we did, uh, uh, employ the Marlon Brando tactic <laughs> at because, uh, the actor had a couple of monologues and, and they were pretty significant and the director was not willing to bend on the script. You know, the director wanted everything word for word. And as opposed to, I was trying to sort of, well, let's see, you know, he, you know, the actor seems to feel like they would do better if they could just improvise. So mm -hmm. let's just kind of let them go with it. Right. And see what they can give us. Maybe they can give us something better than what you've written. You know, just who cares, right. It's one take. Let's see what happens. But uh, no, so we we did cue cards um, up Unbelievable. On, on stuff on the walls and I had, you know, crew holding up the cue cards and stuff. And it was just one of those moments where I just went, oh, I'd rather be no doing business, baby. Yeah, I'd just rather be doing 98 other things today than 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 being right here in this moment. But 
that's all part of the creative process, Jeff, right? That's right, my friend. Don't forget it, people. You can still, we, it, it's just, it's a great lesson that if you can't quite uh, do your job, people around you will pull you up by your bootstraps and drag you until the end. Kick well, it if, you want, <laughs> yeah, if you want to, if we could bring it full circle. I could say that if you're an actor and you show up to rehearsal uh, and you don't know your lines, it's the equivalent of crop dusting the entire crew. Okay. Oh, there it is. Applause. That's the, that's the equivalent of what you're doing. You're not ruining the experience. You're not ending it, but you're just making it really uncomfortable. And, really and stinky. uncomfortable. Yes. Yes. And you're, you're also making me not be able to like sing along with some of my favorite songs because I'm sitting there like trying to not breathe. It's an awful moment. Awful, awful moment. Well, we're, uh, we're Lonely PhDs. I'm Dr. Jeffrey Hayes. He's Dr. Joseph Watson. We talk about films on this here podcast this week. We got a couple uh, uh, queued up. Vengeance, 2022, directed by BJ Novak. And uh, All Quiet on the Western Front, also 2022, directed by Edward Berger. Is it Berger or Berger? Probably Berger. I, you know. Berger, okay. Again, I didn't watch the Oscars, so I know they probably said his name at some point. Yeah. That's Respect just, the German. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you got that right. That's it. Got to make it happen. Yeah. Um, so we, we watch Vengeance. It's on uh, currently you can view it on Amazon Prime if you have one of them, their Prime uh, accounts. Uh, BJ Novak, you know. I know that he's a bit of a, of a polymath. I know that he's, he's a writer and a director and producer. And, um, I, I, you know, though, I got to give it up in this film, man, the Koosh. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, I was so blown away by his few scenes he has in this movie. And I actually ended up rewatching one creepy, of them. Creepy, right? Right? Just creepy. Yeah, sort of like a, uh, 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 the, 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 the reverse beat poet. You, you know what I mean? Like yeah, kind of this, completely. This, this strange 100%. embodiment of America, you know, that's gone wrong. That's yeah. just sort of gone off the rails and it's very delusional. But uh, so tell tell our listeners a little bit about Vengeance, if you so will. So Vengeance is a story of Ben, who's a writer living in New York. Um, uh, and um, he, you know, is, is kind of wanting to do something like the big story, right? He has that sort of journalist dream about, you know, capturing the, uh, you know, the epitome of a story that's, you know, that changes the way people think idealistic. Right. Um, and he gets a, um, he gets a phone call from um, kind of a former flame, but not really. It's just somebody he kind of hooked up with in New York uh, who still lived in Texas. And so um, she kind of kept him in his phone, in her phone. And so mm -hmm. um, she passes away under conspicuous circumstances and her family calls Ben in New York and requests really sort of more or less demands that he uh, come down and attend the funeral of this person that he doesn't really remember or know much about at all. Um, and so he decides to do it um, uh, to go down there anyway, uh, because he thinks that there, you know, there might be a story here and it turns out that he's right. And so the movie um, is really about him uh, attempting to record a podcast, kind of a true crime podcast uh, and get all of this backstory about why this uh, girl was murdered. And and he's confronted with, you know, what's been fabricated, uh, what's really real, what, you know, with sort of the nature of truth uh, when it comes to these kind of things, what people believe to be true versus mm -hmm. what in reality is actual factual truth. Um, so he ends up finding a, a, a really interesting story and getting wrapped up in this sort of uh, conspiracy about what happened to this uh to this girl that he didn't remember, but then sort of gets to know through her memoirs and her, you know, her novelties and her cell phone and her friends and all, and all this kind of stuff. So it is really interesting journey for him. Uh, but that's kind of the crux of the plot, right? right so we right. want to get into some of the mechanics, like, you know, we can well, that's that. what I want to ask because, because there's just, there's almost too much in the film. Like that's, mm. that's, that's one critique I have of this film is that, mm. 
you know, he's he's shoehorning a lot in here in a little mm-hmm. under two hours. Um, and and it, it, you know, it moves not moving from these ideas isn't always seamless. Um, you know, given the time frame of the story itself and, you know, and whatnot, a lot of it feels a bit rushed uh, to get all the ideas in. Because as you were pointing out, you know, he's his character is, is delusional anyway. I mean, self-absorbed, egotistical, yes. you know, typical current white male, you know, attached to nothing, wanting, but wanting more. But right? wanting like, to, right, right. right. Wanting, wanting to make a difference, to, right. Yeah. Wanting to make a difference, but not know, really knowing what that means. Correct. Right? I mean, because it's just easy. It goes, okay, we'll go serve in a soup kitchen, you know, on a weekend, you know, yep. once a month, if you want to give back. This, these, that, and that's part of the point of, of the character here is that it's just like, well, he knows that he just doesn't want to do it. You know right. I mean? It's just like, he, he. <laughs> He has, he's like, uh, I'd compare him almost to a Brian from Family Guy, you know, who's got his head up his ass, you know, just like, oh, if I could only write for the New Yorker, right, Right. it it proved that I'm smart and that I'm capable and that, you know, all of this stuff and, 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 you know. But when does that turn happen for you, Jeff? Because I know there's a very specific place for me that I completely agree with you. So I was like, how are they going to turn this character, right? Because they've set him up very strongly as exactly what you described, right? Like, so I, I, at the beginning, I felt like, why do I really care about this guy? Because he's he's obviously doesn't, you know, how to really be uh, uh, with other people or, or be, yeah. you know, he's very narcissistic. So where does the turn happen for you where they attempt to sort of change him from what he's experiencing you know, because I do believe that happens in the movie. But was there a place um, I, for you where that happened? Yeah, I think you can, like you're alluding to, you can pick your moment. I really like the rodeo. Yeah. Um, that moment where the announcer's like, I know what a writer is, you sarcastic, you know, piece of shit. You That's know, right. it's just like. <laughs> That's a great scene. You know, it is because it takes him down a peg. Yes. Yes. You know, he's trying to placate and and be like well a writer does this and it's just you know i'm just like (laughs) you know that radio announcer is amazing it's just like i know what that is you piece of shit you know (laughs) you condescending little piece of shit like um i think that's that could be a possible turn how about yours like i loved the the uh the uh the dinner sequence where they all sat down for the first time and he grandma, realized, yeah. you know, yeah, grandma just lets loose. Right. And all of a sudden though, you start to like, when you're first introduced to these cadre of characters in this small Texas town, right. Um, you would think, okay, they're going to play this stereotypical, like for the laughs. Right. But somehow for me, they were able to keep at least initially that, oh my God, you know, when he's meeting the sisters and he's meeting the grandma mm-hmm. and he's meeting, you know, I'm like, here we go. Here's the stereotypical, like Southern bless your heart kind of like, here's where it comes. Right. But to me, they, they were able to balance, I think pretty well, caricature and real people, right? Like, because every one of those family members had a moment I felt like where they came across as genuine, right? Whether it's a little brother who comes in and needs to sleep on the floor or, you know, um, whether it's the brother who just, you know, finally kind of confesses and, 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 and tells all, um, or the mom, right. Who, who, you know, has some great moments, right. Um, with him, uh, especially near the end. Um, and uh, yeah, it's that moment where he realizes, cause he has that big speech, right. Where he goes into the, I will define that. Mm-hmm. right and he goes you know and i'm just like and everybody's like wow okay yeah you know you know but mm-hmm. i think that's there's that moment where he's having a self-realization of um you know this is my one chance to maybe do something big right he's still sort of seeing it as a um as an opportunity right for him for himself right so I think maybe they're building it there, but it actually happens in places like that rodeo where he gets, or even when he meets Kush, right? And when he meets Kush, Ashton Kusher's character, right? Yeah. Not at all what he was expecting before he arrived at the house, right? Right. Um, so I, you know, I think for me, and something I really definitely want to want to get your take on is mm-hmm. this is a movie to me that is about language. 
Okay. It's about conversation. And it's about how we don't have good conversations anymore because our language gets in the way or our assumptions get in the way about what we're thinking somebody is going to be like or what they think they're going to say right? versus how they really you know, are in, in, in genuine real life. And so I think you see moments of that throughout the whole movie where you're you're experiencing that through him, but seeing like, this is not at all what I thought it was going to be. And it's not quite as bad as I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, speaking to that point, he, he really kind of clubs the audience over the head with it um, at times, uh, especially when he talks about, you know, when he's pitching the the show to the producer and he's just like, nobody talks anymore. And they all just text and all this you know, but then then keeps coming back to that in certain moments in Texas. Yes. And it just felt like it's like, no, you can move on. Like it, it's, you know, this is kind of beating the horse just just a wee bit. Okay, um, so you thought it was a little preachy. Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, this is you know, this is an incredible. Yeah, I don't I don't think he's hiding that at all. Uh, you know, this is him very distinctly saying that you know, I am a liberal white male. This is what liberal white males believe, you know, about, you know, red state Southerners or just red state people, right. And, you know, in general, in general, um, of course, his, his saving grace is understanding the concept of vengeance in the end. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, even that, that's a hard pill to swallow for me. I was going to ask you without spoiling anything. Yeah, let's not. We won't. We won't. We won't. But I was going to ask you: Did the ending? Did you have any reactions to the ending? Did it play for you? Did you feel cheated? Did you feel you know like it was brave? I, you know, I, I don't know. And I definitely, I didn't feel it was brave. Uh, I certainly didn't feel like I was cheated, but I definitely sat there and went, "Oh, okay, we're going to go this way with it." Um, you, you know, and I, I was it a shock. No, no, it wasn't. A shock. Okay, you, so you, you know, saw with, that. Okay, all right. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah, I, you know, kind of. I, I'm not going to profess I'm some sort of great, you know, reader of, reader of motive, but right. But there's uh, narrative clues, right? I mean, there's yeah, there's, there, 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 there are certain, you know, again, clues, and I, I think that's one of his strengths as a director is that he does have an ability to foreshadow correctly, mm-hmm. like the whole gun thing, uh, is is played nicely. Yes. Uh, you know, until until the crucial moment. So um, my one. Well, my other gripe with the film is that, you know, for some reason he he didn't this when they shoot in the dark in this film, it is fucking dark. Like I, I was watching it and what is especially this, the Batman? The opening, well, I mean, especially the opening, you know, I mean, I'm just like, what the hell is that a field? Like, you know, I'm like squinting yeah. and looking and I'm like, if you're going to shoot in, in darkness, even if you're going for natural realism, you know, you can give the audience a little bit of backlighting. You, you, <laughs> you, know, you don't. Yeah, the only light, I mean, it's a decent shot, you know, yeah. because they, he sort of pans up, right? And you see right. the body, you eventually see the body and then you see just that the hand or whatever is the only The cell thing. phone in the hand, yeah. Yeah, and, and the truck that goes by in the distance and so... In the sort of auspicious beginning, right? Um, no, it's a great, it's a great. Hook. They do have to look and see, like you know, I did. Uh, conf- I'll confess this. I re- re- rewound it because I wanted to make you know sure that I was that that was what I saw. You know, I was like, is that a right. phone or is, okay? Okay, it's it's right. her phone. Okay, all right. Right, right, right. You know, I I just and then later at the end of the film when he's shooting the party, it's the same you have a lot of the same issues, even with bonfires around. I'm right. just like, did y'all not figure out the low light? Like, I, I'm just curious that that had to be a choice. That's yeah. the only thing. I mean, once you went one way, I guess you went all in. I, yeah. I'm, I, I don't know. I'll speak. I'll ask you that more. I mean, <laughs> you work more with directors of photography things, than I yeah, do. I mean, I mean, I mean, he, I don't, I'm going to assume that he has a lot more resources or he had a lot more resources than most everyone has. But I mean, if you're doing it on the cheap, you got to make a call pretty quick. To where if you're going to have natural lighting like they did in those scenes where they had real bonfires, you know, like going, mm-hmm. um, that's going to help you, but it's only going to get you so far in terms of intensity. So um, you're going to have to wash it with something else, you know, whether it's a 1K or, you know, some sort of dome light or something, you're going to have to 
to cover the area a little bit more. Um, otherwise, you, you have to really have cameras that have strong enough sensors to be able to pick up real low light, uh, you know, kinds of shots like that. Um, you know, I mean, sure. I mean, you could, you could, you know, you can go like Kubrick and shoot with candles, right? <laughs> Only, right? I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> or, or you could, right. I mean, but you got to really have that stuff planned out. And so they got to be deliberate choices. But yeah, I mean, those are, those were dark uh, scenes. Um, and, uh, the, you know, there's just sort of the seediness everywhere. Right. But they're really yes. not really like faceless. I mean, they're kind of faceless people, uh, in those moments. It almost reminded me, Jeff, of like a battlefield, you know, like a, sure. you know, like something out of Iraq or something, you know, all the, all the oil fires going or, you know, well, I mean, I mean just, but the, but the metaphor of drug use would, you know, overdose would fit that. Correctly. I think so. Right. right. I mean, you that's, know. yeah. Which is one of the which is one of the central issues uh, in the film, and um, you know when we come to the end of this film, you know we have the uh, egotistical white liberal male who has learned that you know diff- you can get along with different people if you just listen to them, right? And you mm-hmm. try to understand it, and Novak tries to sort of you know wrap his character out of there at that point. Um, there's an incident beforehand though, that sort of muddies that for me, but you know, <laughs> that's why I'm saying like the, the major incident at the end of the film, right. Muddies that message. Yeah. Right. So it's some people, but not all people like right. there, there's a line that's drawn, like, you know what I mean? How did you feel yeah. like with that message? The mess, the actual message of vengeance. No, no. The actual message of listening and understanding oh well i uh i think it's a message that um we need to keep hearing uh does he handle it in an explicit way yes i never felt like it was too preachy but i definitely felt like you know the ideology of this particular story is very explicit right like it's it's he's not holding back in terms of what he's trying to teach you or 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 for lack of a better term, just what the subtext is, right? Of what's going on in the story, right? So it's not hard for someone to to pick up on it. Um, but that message, I think, Jeff, um, I think it could and probably should resonate. Um, I do think that is, I do think that he's tapping into waters in terms of our language and our ability to discuss, to discuss and listen in a civil way. Those things have eroded and we know that. And so I think that, you know, this is his attempt to sort of, uh, you know, uh, like other people raise an alarm bell, right? Like, you know, this is this is a problem. We have to find our way out of this. Right. Well, I mean, he, his, the, the major thing that he does is, you know, in the end, not selling these people's pain for his own gain. Right. Like that's that's occurring also at the end. But that's again why I'm saying like there's just so much he's throwing yeah. at the wall. And yeah. you know, you're you're kind of going, wait, did I okay, well, you know, and you're you're kind of thinking about it. And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think challenging people that there's anything wrong with that, but it just it just feels a little overstuffed. Um, okay. you know, uh, uh, overall. I mean, I I like this film. I, I like what he did with it. He also wrote it. Um and I, I think it's one of those uh, it's one of those sleeper movies, you know, I think it's going to find its audience, you know, at, at, at some point, if it hasn't, you know, found it already. I'm sure I'm sure he went on the NPR, you know, trail of promotion, you know, you show up on Fresh Air and wait, wait, don't tell me and all those things. I'm sure he did all that. When did the movie come out? Was it the fall? of last Yeah, it was like fall of 22. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, he did. He did all the liberal media circuits, uh, you know, because uh, the character he's playing and the company that he's trying to get on with is kind of like an NPR-ish, you know, you know, he, yeah. you know, he kind of wants to do a show that's similar to This American Life, right? I mean, he wants to have that kind of like, you know. Was that Terry Gross? Was that her voice? I think so. That she didn't, she didn't play herself. She played somebody we only hear her voice like yeah. on the radio it's like she's basically the the host of the most popular i didn't check but if it was her it was somebody who really sounded like her if it, it was her. pretty close yeah um, yeah i uh been trying to, to I, I thought it 
I thought it was kind of interesting, though, that, you know, looking at the exploitation aspect of podcasting um, and how true crime shows and all of these really are, while entertaining, are seriously exploitive, you know, and, 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 you know, I think of uh, S-Town was one that I initially enjoyed and then after i thought about it for a while i was like oh my god they really invaded this private you know this person's life and now they're no longer around like i'm just like who what? yeah and, uh, yeah. there and there are some some shows that are addressing sort of the podcast craze like you know only murders in the building like you know is sort of doing it in a satirical way but like i think there's space for more movies that have that sort of agenda of creating a podcast as sort of the narrative like driving force that pushes our characters through something. I think we have a lot more room to explore there about what the podcast world has done and the craze that it's created. Um, But again, Jeff, I think this is one of those things where you were saying is too much meat packed in, right? Um, Because he doesn't get enough time to spend on that particular issue, in my opinion. Um, which is which is a key point that, they're, that he's trying to make about how our media is constructed these days. So, um, but it's well, definitely, yeah, it's definitely taking uh, you know a really humorous take uh, on on um, the exploitation that exists in those kinds of true crime podcasts, right? Um, or, or just the dissemination of information in a bubble, mm-hmm. or information you can choose. You know, and, and, and everyone is guilty of this, you know, in real life and in this fictional world. You know, it's just like the Texas people, you know, he, he's like, all you people believe in, you know, basically he never says Fox News, but it's the, you know, it's right. their conspiracy theories, things of that nature. Um, and then he's coming from the more this other side of it. It's just like that exploits people's, you know, stories mm-hmm. um, instead of creating something fictional of your own you're taking someone's life or lives and capitalizing on it, which, you know, that's in, in you, you work in the documentary areas. So I'll ask you this then it's just like, how do you approach, you know, I mean, it's just like, what, what's, you know, what's that approach? That's, that's why I've never touched documentaries with a, with a, with a 50 foot pole. Like, I'm just like, I just can't imagine you know, sitting down with someone in their life. And then I am responsible for how this is going to be edited and turned out and, you know, and whatnot. It's quite the responsibility. Um, You know, I think you have to constantly be asking yourself, um, you know, uh, well, it has to start with the right questions, right? I mean, you have to ask the right questions. Um, And then you have to build rapport and you have to build trust, you know, with that subject with that person um and it it takes time which is why you know i could i watch there's so many documentaries on today and i see some that i just go wow this was really slapped together like they just didn't you know they were really trying to rush this one right there should have been more interviews of this or that or you know or the other um it takes time to build those relationships it takes time to um, to understand things. But I think the biggest thing, Jeff, and I'll say this, mm-hmm. and I won't ramble too much about this, but the biggest thing about documentary is you cannot assume that you know the story before you go in. I mean, that's really how it has to begin. You can have some instincts. You can have some, well, let me ask you about this. Or, you know, you, you can have some ideas about where you think the story is, but nine times out of 10, you're looking over here for the story on the left and the story, the real story that you need is on the right. Like, so you got to like step back and look at the big picture and let your, your people, your content, your subjects, those relationships drive what the story becomes, you know? Well, you have a Um, central question or hypothesis, you know? Yes. That's what you, that's what's leading you into it. But you have to be willing to say to yourself that that hypothesis or theory could be completely wrong, right? I could have it completely flipped and, and, it's through my exposure and my process of learning that I found the true story or the, you know, the real story or the deeper story, right. Than what I had originally envisioned or thought. So it's, yeah, it's definitely about removal of the self at some point. If you, 
you know, if you're doing it the right way, in my humble opinion, it's about taking yourself out of it, you know, and that's some, some people have problems with Michael Moore, right? For that very reason, like he's too much of a performative character in his documentaries and they're too subjective and they're too, you know, um, uh, exploitative, right? In that way. Well, he's, uh, he's, he's his own brand. Also, without yeah. question, right? You know, without question. It's always a Michael Moore documentary. It's just the old, the old director is, you know, star, uh, a thing, you know, it's a Martin Scorsese picture, uh, et cetera, right. et cetera, except he applies it to, to, you know, doc documentaries and, uh, for, for anyone who's ever wondered about that. Yeah. He's just brand, he, he was branding himself the whole time. I mean, and, and props to him, right? Because, you know, that's a, that's a style that I, I, whatever I'm watching a Michael Moore documentary, I always know that this is Michael Moore's take. There's never, right. to me, it's not, there's not deception. It's just, I need to realize that, well, this is the way he's telling this story. Right. And, um, you know, he's, he's going to try to be as objective as possible, but, you know, his subjective nature and his performative character are going to take over very different from say, Errol Morris, right? I mean, Terratron. I mean, you're still getting a sense that Errol Morris is driving the story, but it's very different, right? It's a very different approach, right? So, well, yeah, Morris is more cinematic, like, and and also, you know, his his performativity is just on this whole other theatrical level, uh, including the the beloved Terratron, which is one of my favorite things, possibly ever. Say, just a choice of subject. Errol yeah. Morris usually like separates, you know, himself. Yeah, Fog of War, people, go watch the Fog of War. That's that's what I'll say about oh, Errol Fog Morris. War is just oh, it's seminal, people. You got to see that movie. Seminal. Got to see it. Seminal. Well, we're uh, we're lonely PhDs. We just got done talking about Vengeance from 2022, written and directed by B.J. Novak. Up next, All Quiet on the Western Front, the most recent version of it, 2022, directed by Edward Berger. Um, did I push you into this movie, Jeff? Did I? I was like, you did not. You did. I know we were talking about it last week. No, no, no. It, 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 as I said last week, there are things that have been sitting in the list, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's just like, no, I need to, I need to watch this. Um, I, I was all, we both were already familiar with the book, we were already familiar with the original uh film. Uh, so I had I had a lot to, to go into this book. You used to teach this book, I did. I've taught this book, yeah, a number of times to uh, to uh, uh, high school students. Uh, and it was always very popular, um, you know, because it's just such a moving um, book. Um, I wish I could say the same thing about this film. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, it just, uh, for those who don't know, uh, so All Quiet on the Western Front uh, is basically the German perspective of the waning time in World War One, uh, And we follow, some young men who uh, volunteer to go into the army uh, and, and, and the horror that ensues. Um, you know, maybe my sensibilities about war movies, I, 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 don't, I don't know, you know, anymore. I, I don't watch them quite like I used to when I was younger, you know. Um, but, you know, we grew up in the 80s and the Vietnam movies were like every other fucking month. Um, I was really turned off by the opening. I, you know, I, I was watching it and it's this very visceral, depressing opening of a soldier that gets killed in battle. And then you see how they recycled the, the dead's clothes and then refit them for the new coming in which you know that's truth it's truth that's fine yeah truth doesn't depress me necessarily but presentation sure does um you know it's certainly a harrowing presentation of that yes it was visceral yes you know i uh and man i gotta i gotta pick a bone with that that music cue i i just jeff jeff i thought that's the most kubrick thing in the whole movie no, from, not not from not his continue. cam stuff to that wonderful like mm, it was like this continually beating the, you got to come up with another motif, man. Like okay. it's just like you know, just that one motif. Constant, even Kubrick would come off it a little bit. I mean, you know, come on. I, so you didn't I, have I a just, problem with the cue. You just thought it was overused. Like you need absolutely, you, need, like, okay, okay. you know, because it didn't fit. 
like it, when you use that same cue in the battle uh, field, it's not the same cue that works in my opinion. Uh, when you go to diplomats, like it's it a just created transition. such a sense. It just created such a sense of dread for right. me. Right. It's like I'm right. hearing and I go, oh, my God, there's that. That siren foghorn call again that but you, just, that's I mean, bringing that's, that's, dread and death, you know, like into the into the world. But that's the thing. Like this film never relents. At least the book. And let me, for people who don't know, in the book he actually goes home on leave and gets to see his family again. And yeah, he's, you know, had the jarhead equivalent of being retrained, and he doesn't quite acclimate as well. But at least that's a respite in the book mm-hmm. of you know taking a time out this film doesn't take a time out in two hours and 40 minutes uh, you know it's it's just it's just constant and i i compare it to something like you know um uh like something mel gibson would do or just, do you th- just so you think it was was it gratuitous jeff was it just too much like because it is quite graphic oh man I, yeah i mean when when war. he when when you get the graphicness it's graphic yeah, you know, but that I think didn't of that, bother that, me. The poor, the poor motherfucker that gets run over by the tank that we get to see, and I'm just like, Jesus Christ! Like, okay, like I, it's got it. Like, is it, but that's the thing about when you put it up against something like Paths of Glory. Same, same situations. It's the French side. It's the trenches. And yes, it was a different time. They couldn't show a lot of things. And and there's a lot of tips of the hat here to to. To, to that especially when they're running in no man's land mm-hmm. you know there's a lot of tips of the hat to what Kubrick had done before um but you know at some point i understand when you're trying to hammer ptsd into people and you're hammering it into your audience through your characters experiences and eyes i, I again i personally you got to let off the gas, man. Mm. It, it, it's just, it's just, it's too much, you know? And, and, and again, I understand the overall message of the horror of war. I, I understand all that. I'm, I'm, and it is a very important message, but for two hours and 40 minutes, <laughs> this movie beats you like you stole something. And, you know, there are little moments where we get to see the diplomats, you know, trying to negotiate and, you know, the, of course, the megalomaniacal general who's not going to give it up, you know, even at the 11th, literally at the 11th hour. I, I, I just, yeah, man, it just, it got so overwhelming. I, I, I think my brain just shut down at some point. Well, I don't know if that's, I mean, I, uh, well, I, I'm, I'm not surprised, nor do I think that it's unusual to have that reaction to the movie um and i think it's fair um uh, you know um i i sometimes think that uh that kind of psychology that was really just because you're right i mean it's really a, like a two and a half hour like psychological meditation on absolutely how horrific that particular war is or was and and you know um well yeah lessons. i mean it's you know it, yeah, it's but Go ahead. But yeah, no, I was just going to say that, like, um, you know, um, maybe sometimes uh, since we've heard that message before and seen it before in a number of different films that are that are very effective in their own way, that uh, maybe this we're part of the segment of the audience that, you know, just kind of feels like it was too much because we've seen it all before. Because I know younger people who saw it in the audience were absolutely floored by it like they you know they like never seen a war film about okay. World War one okay. sort of take it in that you know it's like wow that was a really nasty war and i'm like yeah it wasn't pretty you know um and that movie doesn't pull any i mean it doesn't hold back right um in, in terms of showing you that right i too had um fatigue uh in the movie um, and I had problems disconnect or I, I just couldn't connect with some of the characters because like I said, like you were saying earlier, they, 
you know, they removed some of the elements of the book that uh, allowed you to sort of get more intimate with, uh, is it Franz or whoever the main character, right? Oh. And his family, right? It's gone, yeah. right? That, that that stuff is gone. So they chose not to allow for any kind of connection in that, you know, in that manner. Um, so uh, I don't know. I, I I thought the movie was executed for what they're trying to do. I thought it was executed very well. Um, yes. uh, you know, the cinematography was, I loved the sound design. I loved some of the camera work. I thought, I thought that was some of what you, I predicted. No, no, no. I, I mean, I Jeff is going to love this because they are playing off Kubrick here, you know? No, in, no, in no, I, I mean, I'm going to get to that. Like I, you know, the, the steady can drone and, and, and handheld stuff here is just exquisite. It's like, great, you know, right? the, you know, uh, I didn't see the Mendes film, so I can't really speak to, cause I know that was the, you know, the elong, the, the elongated one shot trick, you know? Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, the sequences here, the direction is excellent. The actors are excellent. Um, it's just, it's just the overall of it's, it's the, it's the atmospheric of it, man. Like, how do I feel as an audience member watching it? You know, not as a, you know, as a, as a film analysis, it's like, oh no, this checks all those boxes you're talking about. You know, I, I, as I approach it as an audience member in this case, that's, it just became harder and harder the longer the film went on for me to keep my analysis part of my brain working. Because it was just right. It was just like, oh my goodness, you know, this is just so so much. But because the other part of my brain that's working, because I'm very knowledgeable about World War One, actually, is like, well, you know, um, so yeah, yeah, of course. Well, you know, I mean, well, I mean, but also just like I also studied, you know, I, I love the uh, uh, books by Jacques Tardy about World War One. Uh, it was a war of the trenches and goddamn this war, um, which are excellent, excellent books. Um, you know, and, and also watching documentaries on World War One, and, and uh, you saw the Peter Jackson one. Yeah. Have you seen, have you seen that one? Yeah. Oh man, heartbreaking! Yes. Absolutely heartbreaking. Uh, I, I, you know, yeah, that 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 there was just this disconnect in my brain that just began to occur, and it, it just it got more difficult as as in I I try to do this now when I'm watching streaming movies not to pause it oh, yeah. not to take the break because it's just like if i was in a if i was in a fucking movie theater you yeah. sit and you sit and that's what you do you know and it's just like and that's why these films are designed yeah, that's why film is designed a certain way you know this isn't episodic this is for you to sit with it so yeah i was i was i was definitely uh definitely struggling but i was all you know i was also thinking about what kind of got me um the beautiful aspect of showing and I know that they couldn't go into all of this. It's just like, this is the first mechanized war. You know, this is the introduction of chemical warfare. Um, I wish there had been some more about gas. I wish there had been some more about the horror of mustard gas, um, the tanks, the flamethrowers. Um, and I'm going to be honest with you, man. I've I've seen some rough stuff on screen. That flamethrower shit was rough. That's was unbelievable in how they shot that. I mean, I you, nobody saw that coming. So when no. they cut that wide shot and you see all those and you see the tanks coming, coming out, out of, of the mist, mist, I was just like, "Oh my god!" Like, right. <laughs> this is like this is like I, I surrender. <laughs> well, it's like the four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah I mean, it's yeah. this is the end. You're you're not getting. You think you know? And and I credit our creative team here because they do layer it with that again that impending doom like it never ever ceases it's that sense of dread right that, that right it's just like dread. even at the very near the very end where he tells them well we could go home but you don't want to go home cowards we're gonna have one more fight right 15 minutes to go until cease fire and he throws his troops back in there it just the look on Paul is just so amazing. Like his gauntness, his weariness. He knows, he knows, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, you you know, how many more times can you, can you bet, bet the house? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> you know? Um, 
yeah i i i i just that's that's the that was the that was the takeaway for me you know that that there was just um such a strong sense of impending terminal dread uh in the movie um you know there's no real break as you say from that but i think in in many ways that's probably what makes it very effective especially for a younger audience that maybe hasn't been exposed to as many war films as 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 we have um but how so so then how does the where does the war film go from here jeff how do we you know if we get out of that sort of mode of representation of those events where we 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 try to give breaks from the dread or we try to give you know you know platoon does kind of a a, a nice job of balancing that right where you're mm-hmm. you're spending time with the with the men and you're seeing them smoking pot and dancing to music and you know bonding right so you actually you know start to care for them right uh as right. as um as characters um so other war films do take it differently right but like do we need to think about reconceptualizing it a little bit? How do we, you know, how do we approach shooting these kinds? Well, of no, things? because I think that this is this is the exact point of this film is saying that it's just like no soldiers are chum. Mm-hmm. You know, why why do you want to get to know? You know, it's just like the government doesn't give a shit about them. The right. enemy doesn't give a shit about them. Right. So it's just like no, they're just chum. Right. They're 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 they're, they're filling up space. And that's just as powerful a message as anything. Yeah, those scenes you know, where they were, you know, breaking the dog tags and you oh know, man, you Jeez. mentioned the you mentioned the the uniforms at the beginning, which is really if that's not a warm cup of coffee to like, whoa, this is going to be a <laughs> this is going to be a up. long experience, right? <laughs> uh, but those, I, did, yeah. I will say that's when I checked the runtime real quick. <laughs> I was just like, oh. Well, uh, yeah, the the dog tags was another thing that got me, you know, because they're just so dang, they're just so janky, you know, and and and, yeah. and it just that's the only record yeah. of that human being from you know from that experience, and it was it was heartbreaking, you know, I mean, because you're just they're just carrying him around on a little bag, and they're it's like they're lottery numbers in a way, you know, it's just it's crazy, um, but yeah, there were moments like that that were quite stark, and um, you know, I. I instantly was 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 triggered several times by thinking about previous war films yes. that I had seen that did sort of a, a similar theme in war, right? But like a scene or something that was similar, but just handled it differently or handled it even more artistically, right? They tried to make it a beautiful thing. You know, I was I always loved that sequence in Born on the Fourth of July where he gets shot because there's very little combat in Born on the Fourth of July. Right, right, right. One sequence. But it's shot against this, you know, Robert Richardson's beautiful cinematography shot against this uh, sunset on this beach. And it's like this totally different conception of Vietnam, right? It's almost yeah. like a paradise, right? Um, uh, but yet he, he, you know, he gets shot and paralyzed there. And it was just so like artistically done, but it wasn't graphic or wasn't gratuitous. You know, nobody saw the right. tank rolling over the dude, you know? So it is like, I, I, I just, the, the, the gratuitous nature of the violence to me, Mm-hmm. was obviously it fit i mean i i i you know like right, you're saying, we get it we get it but like but it yeah. is it it's it's a lot well it's it's it's, it's like a it's like a fucking verhoven film man you know all of yeah. a sudden it's just like you know oh you think they're young and beautiful oh here let me kill them horribly what do you think of them now right they're just chum chum so, in the water like so, it, it, it yeah so it, so i said to i said to somebody the other day who had seen this really loved it um also really liked you know the original which is also a great a great, great movie film. um and uh but but you know they're talking about how much they kind of liked this movie better and uh and and i you know was just questioning like why why this one over the original and they started talking about how, you know, well, it was just so much more realistic. And it was so much more like, you know, it, it, I think just this is a movie that needed to be remade. And I'm glad that they did it um, because I think subsequent generations who are exposed to it will get the message. Um, they'll, they'll miss the 
they'll miss the humanity in it probably, but they'll, but they'll get the message. Um, I I think too, they're going to miss the message about, you know, nationalism gone wrong. Um, which is very much the thrust of the original film. Yeah. You know, that's what they really focus on. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's still there. I'm not saying it's not there. Right. But I'm saying that again, when you, what, what are people going to be left with after watching this? Are they going to be left with these, this question about, you know, nationalism gone wrong, or are they going to be thinking about this gross, gratuitous scenes? You know, I'm sure Remark didn't have that in mind, um, <laughs> you know, with the book. Um, right. and, and again, that's fine. Again, as we've, but we're also a different world than we were a hundred years ago. And I do keep that in mind, but I am, you know, I do worry about jingoism. I do worry about, especially in our current rhetorics uh, as they occur. And I think that that's just a message that, that just doesn't come through as clear in this particular version of this particular story. It is there, but it's not there enough. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, about who are your leaders, what are they doing to the to the people, you know, what is the temperature of a nation under stress? What is the temperature of a nation under, you know, uh, immense pressures? Uh, there's one moment very late in the film that again, and and I appreciate that the filmmakers are wanting us to wanting the audience to do the work and to be, you know, and giving them credit for it. But, you know, when you introduce the 15 year old or the 16 year old soldier at the very end, the redheaded one, I mean, I immediately was just like, Oh, I see what you're doing. Right. It's just like the end of world war II. Mm-hmm. What was left? Children, children, children in uniforms right same thing history will repeat itself that's what that scene said to me it's just like well this is just foreshadowing so you know about how this will be cyclical yeah what kind of a meditation is that on vengeance ah there you go right i mean i think there is a connector there right at least in terms of that as a thematic right because yeah you're left with you know where where did germany go next well just a couple decades later they were (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> you know, they were back in full, you know, full force again. Yeah, based you know? based on, but but also based on, you know, the the, and this gets lightly touched on in here, and just me having a lot of knowledge about World War One. I just know this, you just know the economic factors that pressed it. You know, the destruction of the middle class. Does this sound familiar, by the way? Um, you know, the the the. <laughs> sorry, folks, yeah. but it's just like this is these are prescient points. Yeah. Uh, in any economic engine and you know <laughs> this again should this this is to me more of the major message of this story but unfortunately again it's just you know I think it kind of kind of doesn't hit uh, in this particular version could have been more explicit yeah could have been more explicit absolutely but um, would I would I recommend this film yeah you know, I, I, I would um, if someone, like you said, is very unfamiliar with the the genre of war films uh, as it is contemporary, as I suppose. The only thing left for filmmakers who go down this road is try to top any type of desensitization that has occurred um, by going overtly graphic. Uh, it's kind of what you're left with. Uh, also being, you know, very in your face as far as like hand-to-hand combat uh, is displayed in this film um, horrifically as it is. It is horrific. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would still say to someone, I was just like, well, you know, if you want to take a chance on it, sure, sure. You know, I'm not going to discourage anyone from it, though. No, I, I, I try never to discourage anyone from war films in general, because I'm just like, I think that they're an important genre and they have a lot to say, whether they're, whether they're overly patriotic or jingoistic, or like you said, you know, I like 
I like the with the older war films, you know, the bonding process was always so important in those films. Um, I think that's very important, just like I think it's important in sports films to show bonding so that people who don't play, who've never played sports, understand a, a athlete's mindset sometimes about, you know, well, what'd you play sports for? You could have done something. It's just like, well, you know, it was a fellowship and it was bonding and we were all in it together. You know what I mean? It's just like, right. if those are the messages that are getting across, then I'm, I'm more than happy to recommend. What's a war movie that you start someone off with these days? Oh, Paths of Glory, without without it, without glory. a without a doubt, yeah. Um, just just because again, I think too. Uh, anything that isn't World War II related, I always seem to because I always think that World War II is just a staple in history, you know. And we keep and as we should. I mean, I'm not saying oh, forget about World War II. That's not what I'm saying. Um, I, I'm saying that there's been other there's other conflicts to look at and to think about, and I think that those are just as important. Uh, you know, World War II will always, personally, I mean, it, it, it's <laughs> for, for humankind, man. Like, this is like the one time we got together and said, you know what, let's not fuck around with this. Let's, right, right, right. This is. This is for the species, kids. Strong unity. Right. Yeah. yeah, strong, strong <laughs> unity. We got to do this for everyone and for, the, yeah, for the planet for and everyone. everyone. Gang. Right. So yeah, what about you? What would you recommend? Well, I, I mean, I, Paths of Glory is a great one. I, I would probably do Platoon. I would start with, you know, something like Vietnam. Um, I would tell them to go there first <clears throat> and then work work your way through some others i mean i i think like first time war film getting exposed to those kinds of genre conventions that we that we think are so effective for the for the genre um platoon is probably where i would start i mean saving private ryan the first the first 20 some odd minutes of saving private ryan are some of the best cinema and i mean it's just so well done and um you know the movie as a whole kind of didn't really play for me but the longer it went but but those first 20 minutes man that's that's that was the movie right there it was so intense and incredible uh so you know i would probably shift there next but i you know yeah there's just it's it's a great genre and we got exposed to so much of it but then you also have to think about well i want somebody to have a good balance between say a um a conservative kind of representation of a war film versus a liberal kind of perception of it i mean i personally well, I sands, sands of iwo jima which we yeah, right show, right, right. Sands of iwo jima or you know the uh the green berets or the longest day or you know any, you know, any, any midway with the you know, these, these, these movies that right i mean but then i you know i would say well there's other films that are really fantastic as well that are off the radar about world war ii that you know, things like Letters from Iwo Jima is an amazing movie. Clint Eastwood's movie is amazing. Um, you know, and and you prop that with Flags of Our Fathers, you know, that other film that he did. Th those two films, you know, are, are great well, back to back. That's both know. sides of the coin, right? Yeah. Like, that's yeah, a very yeah. unique perspective on something. Uh, so I would, would just, you know, I would want eventually to get everybody, uh, you know, who's on this list to, to, to watch stuff that represents both sort of takes. Right. on it and figure out where you kind of align right with those politics but um but yeah but you gotta you gotta experience both and you can't talk about war films without acknowledging those you know john ford movies uh you know uh with john wayne um that were uh you know that were war-based and all the you know, really audie murphy those movies i mean world war ii has definitely been represented on film a lot and a lot more yes. than other conflicts as you were saying that need to be just as recognized or as you know as memorialized as something like like world war ii even if the stakes weren't so high you know for this still conflict is conflict well, it, there's, there's drama and all of that that we can learn from it brings us back to the question of politics right because it's just like you can't make a war film every war film is political you know, it, it hugs some sort of the line. You just, you gave an excellent example when you said, you know, 
is it more the conservative take or more the liberal take on this? You know, and we're just talking about it from the American perspective, which Correct. maybe that's why All Quiet on the Western Front is an outlier, right? Because mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm hard pressed to say what, you know, what political line it actually would have. I'd have to rewatch it again <laughs> to, to sort of think about it some more. Well, I definitely don't think that it's pro-war. I mean, I, I think that it's definitely um, it's definitely questioning war, right? Um, you know, because I, you, you know, one would ask themselves, "Gosh, why do they keep going back? Why do they even enlist? Why do they get?" You know, I mean, but we're well, but, at- but when we say pro-war, though, I mean that's that's a loaded statement because you know whether you're a Democrat or a Republican in this country, you know, at some point they've all said. War is a necessary evil. Okay, right? fair. So, so take you that see out. what I mean? So it's just like it's if we have to when I say politics, that's what makes it sticky. Because it it then if we look at another country, right, and we're right. looking at the politics of another country, you know, I mean, what was Germany dealing with at the time? Well, they were they were worried about communist Marxist infiltrations. Right. Obviously, they seem to have more of a a uh, 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 more of a czarist. Uh, uh, outlook than anything else, you know. I, th- I think there's one line that they kept in in the film about, you know, these so and sos are going to ruin this country, you know, and we're just all going to go in the toilet when this treaty gets signed, right? So it's there, but you know, I, I think that that's why I would say I'd have to watch it again, and I'd have yeah. to put on my political hat and sit here and go, okay, well, what are the politics of this movie though? So then, so then, is it better to say then let's take liberal and conservative out of it, and let's say pacifist hawk, right? Like okay, the, the, that's right? fair. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so because I definitely think that there are movies that that um, you know uh, that take more of a meditative stance on pacifism, uh, both both in in going to war and both actions that you take while you're in war, right, or at war, right. Um, that has sort of a, a, a pacifist kind of meditation. And then there's others that are just completely hawk, like, you know, uh, everything is presented as motivated and justified and fair and, you know, all's fair in war. Uh, Heartbreak you know. Ridge. Right, right, right. <laughs> About the Grenada conflict. <laughs> Heartbreak Ridge. Still have a little DVD of that. Do you really? Um, I do because I'm an I'm an Eastwood whore. Um, yeah, I I do love a lot of his work, and that's one of those ones that that one Heartbreak Ridge I think came out when I was like 13. Yep, something like that, and and it was just another one of those. I was sucking in every war film that I could at that point because Platoon had so you know moved me by that point. So, hey, Gunny, <laughs> Mario Van Peebles. Yes, is in that movie. Yes, Mar- uh, there's yeah. a woo. Well, there's a blast from the past. Yeah, my my uncle loved that movie. Um, I don't know why. I think because he he just was always a sucker for that Clint Eastwood patriotic, yeah, yeah. patriotic guy. Um, but uh, but yeah, yeah. There's all kinds of little war gems. I'm sure we could find in everyone's closets that they absolutely. See Oh they no, no, absolutely. Like this or that, you know. <laughs> well, my my dad's closet is full uh in, in more films. So there you go. It's all of them, Joey. It's all of them. As you know. Love That's you, Papa. Thing, right? That's right. <laughs> love, love you, Papa. Gotta throw that, throw that out there. Uh, well, you can get in touch with us a number of ways. You can email the show, uh, lonelyphds at gmail.com with any of your questions, uh, requests for films. I was just going to open that up too. You know, if you want to hear us, you know, dissect some films, throw them out there for us. I'm, you know, we, we're more than happy to, to take a look. Uh, you can also do it over on our Discord. We got a link to that in our show notes. That's where we talk about all things lonely PhDs. And I posted a couple couple things this week. I hope that people will enjoy. One of them was a uh, fifty year uh, retrospective on uh, uh, the long goodbye. Um, did you see? Big I, fan of that. I haven't. I haven't seen that yet. It wouldn't. Yeah. yeah. I put that up. I put that up for you, big guy. Oh, I love right. it. Yeah. Love it. Uh, but yeah, it, but head over to our Discord and uh, and, and join uh, uh, the fun. As always, please subscribe and rate the show on Apple Podcasts, Google, 
Podbean or wherever you get your podcasting needs taken care of. And until next time, I am Dr. Jeffrey Hayes. Dr. Joseph Watson. We'll see you then. Thank you.